So for those who weren't here last week, we started talking about Christ's return. Jesus is coming back. And the Bible told us to talk about it. We started looking at at his coming back, but if we're going to look at his coming back, we should look what happens after he comes back. In fact, Colossians tells us, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated. And it, and it tells us to look ahead, to look to heaven, which is awesome. But the Bible also tells us in Revelations chapter 13, verse 6, speaking of the devil, it says that he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name, his dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. So it's telling you that Satan's going to lie about God, lie about heaven, and lie about God's people. And it just kind of throws this out there. As I got, I got thinking about this, I got asking people questions, I started reading um, some different stuff on heaven. And one of the, the things that Randy Elkhorn, he wrote an awesome book called Heaven. And I was, as I was reading it, he quotes an English priest who was asked by a colleague what he expected after death. And he replied, well, if it comes to that, I suppose I shall enter eternal bliss. But I really wish you wouldn't bring up such depressing subjects. And I'm like, wait a second. I looked up the definition. Bliss. Perfect happiness. Great joy. How can you say I'm going to enter complete joy and perfect happiness and it's depressing? This, this is an indication that mentally you know something but at the same time in your heart, you've bought into a lie. He knew, theologically, he knew in his head that heaven is good. But the picture that he had in his heart was depressing. And so there was no looking for forward in joy. In, you know, he says, it's depressing. See, a lot of us have bought into this lie. Can you put up that first picture? And we picture heaven something like this. I wish I, bought, I brought a magazine of just somebody just bored out of their mind because they're just sitting on a cloud. And just kind of this idea that, all right, well, we're going to be there and we're going to just, it's just, it's better than hell. They're like, you know what? Hell is going to be really, really bad. So you want to go to heaven. And there's a lot of people that that's really their, their thinking. They're like, what's heaven going to be like? They're like, it's not hell. And, and like that's the whole pitch for them is like, I'm going to not go to hell. And I'm glad that you're not going to hell. But this is, this is an indication that we've bought into a lie that the devil tells. The Bible tells us that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible tells us that he's a liar and the father of lies. And it says that he's going to slander heaven. And he's going to, if he can't take heaven from you, He'll try to talk you out of it. I have four kids, um, and I love my kids. My kids are awesome. Every once in a while, there is special things that end up at home. Normally, they're edible things, and with four kids, edible things disappear really quickly. Three of them are boys, and they can put away the food. My seven-year-old regularly tries to out-eat me. Like, they can put food away. But it's not uncommon. If somebody's hesitant to try something, and like I bring home something that, that may look kind of questionable but tastes really good. I have one of my boys in particular who will look at the other one who's like, I don't know. And he's like, 
Don't eat it. Don't, you don't need to eat it. Just, just leave it. Don't eat it. And he'll try to talk him out of it. I'm like, you little punk. And he's, he's hoping to talk his brother out of it so that he can eat his brothers. I'm like, just, just, just trust me. You want to eat it. I, don't, I think it was a s'more that one of them was like, I don't know. It's gooey. Like, you're like, you're going to like it. I don't know. It's straight sugar. Really? Okay. And like, but he's trying to convince him that he doesn't want it so that he can get it. And sometimes this is kind of the, the game that the devil plays. He's like, here, you don't want to go there. And, and he tries to paint this picture that it's not worth it. And if you don't think it's worth it, you're not going to set your heart on it. Um, you can put up this next picture. This is another quite typical idea of what heaven looks like. Here, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. Okay, if, if that's what heaven was like, pray that you're not stuck next to me in heaven. Um, my musical gift got passed on to someone else in the family, and that would not be heaven. But when you have a destination, it gives you direction. If we were to leave, we were to get in the car together, and we're like, all right, I want you to go. You'd be like, great, where? I don't care. Well, then does it matter what way you turn? Does it matter if you go left? Does it matter if you go right? Not if you're just going. But as soon as you start, if I'm to say, hey, we are going to go to, and I give you a location, now there's a right and there's a wrong. Hey, we're going to go to the mall. Then if you leave here and you turn left, you went the wrong way. No matter if you went out on Ivanrest or on 52nd, if you went left, you're going the wrong direction. And when you have a direction, it gives you vision and it gives you restraint and it helps you know how you should be living, how you should be driving. And when we're eyes on the prize, it gives us self-control. It gives us direction. But when we go, oh, I don't even want to think about that, then you're, you're in the car and you're like, well, where am I going? I don't know. Where do you want to, want to turn? I don't know. Light's red. Let's turn right because then I can keep going. And you just go places not because it's a good idea, but just because it's somewhere. And that's, that leaves you in a mess. But when we, when we hear this, a lot of times like, oh, okay, it's, it's a cloud. Hey, it's, it's playing a harp. It's just a never-ending church service. Okay, I'm a pastor. I'm going to tell you a secret. I love church. But the idea of a never-ending church service is horrible. Um, just to be honest, I can't do anything for that long without getting um, fidgety and uncomfortable. But I, I was going, where is this idea that heaven will just be a never-ending church service? And as I began to do some research, discovered it's actu actually um, from Plato. Um, it, it's his thinking that everything that is physical is bad, and everything that is spiritual is good. And they just drew this line and separated it. And they're like, so only these spiritual things could be good. But worship is not confined to a song. You can worship God in song, and it can be amazing, but that is not the only way to worship. See, I have, I told you I have kids, and I will find a way to stick them in almost every single sermon. And I love my kids. And my kids can make me smile and it's not just when they walk up and they're like, Dad, I love you. When they do that, I smile. 
when I show up at the house and there's like a stampede across the house and you hear, Daddy's home! And there's a competition to see who can hug me first. I, mean, I, I just smile. Like, it makes me happy. But when they're playing and they're like, Hey, Dad, watch me. And that happens a lot. I hear a lot of, watch me. Look at this. Did you see me? And, and uh, this morning or this afternoon, my son got this like uh, boomerang thing, except it's got four sides instead of two. And he's like, watch me. I can throw it and catch it. And he wants to show me. And as he does stuff, I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, my, my seven-year-old just got an RC car for his a birthday, and he's learned how to navigate it and drive it really well. I say, watch this, Dad, can you see me do this? And when, when they do stuff and when they succeed, it makes me smile. And not only are we God's kids, but we're also his creation. And when, when you do something that he created you to do, that's worship. When you use the skills, the talents, the abilities that God gave you, you honor God with that. And he looks, so I'm like, so so in heaven, we're going to still have these different gifts, skills, talents that God gave us. And when we, when we think, we go, okay, well, who made the world? Who made waves to surf, mountains to climb, rivers to, to, to raft, horses to ride? Who, who is it who made trees that needed to be climbed? Whose idea were these things? These things all came from God then why, if he made earth so much fun, would he make heaven boring? And when we start to, to look at this, it, it's supposed to bring hope. It's supposed to bring self-control. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. See, he was looking forward to something. He said, because I'm looking forward to you, I will go through what it takes. See, when you have a hope, it changes things. Uh, a couple years ago, I was, I was writing my message and I'm thinking about this. I'm like, oh, when I was a kid, and I'm like, okay, no, this was after I got out of college. Okay. When I got out of college, I still, I really loved food. Very much so. Especially free food. Like after college, you started paying for a lot of the food that you had to eat. You realized how insane is the amount of food that I used to eat. And thank you, mom, for all the food. But I remember one Sunday, my parents were going to go to Charlie's Crab on Sunday for the Sunday brunch, and they said they were going to take me. Now, if you've never been there, it's probably better for your wallet. But if you go on a Sunday morning, they have, or at least decades ago, they had a buffet that was amazing. It was like one, two, three, four, five, it's like seven, at least seven tables, and then the dessert table, and then a table where they're doing um, fresh like omelets and cutting roast beef and, and different things for you there, prime rib, and is amazing. And, I, and I've been there a couple times with them and was like, this is awesome. And so Sunday morning comes and they're like, hey, we want to take you to lunch with us to Charlie's Crab. And I'm like, sweet. Then after service, I was, I was working in the 180 and they had a pretzel machine thing that spins around and keeps pretzels warm. And they had these pizza pretzels. And normally, if there's a pizza pretzel left, the guy who's running the counter would be like, hey, I got to get rid of this. You know, none of the kids bought it and you can't use it later. He's like, do you want it? Normally that's like, yes, free food. But he offered it to me that day and I'm like, no. Why would I waste space in my stomach when I know I'm about to go to a buffet 
that is going to be so full of good food. It's going to take me a complete lap and an overflowing plate just to figure out what is the best. And then I have to have room for the next plates full of that which is the best. And then you have to have dessert, have to have an omelet, and probably should try the prime rib. And, and so I would not defile the space in my stomach with this pretzel that's been out above the heater all day. And, it, and it's funny, but when we're looking at heaven, the same things happen. Because there's these different things that the world may offer. And it goes, oh, this could be fun, this could be fun. And you're like, oh, I know I shouldn't. And if you don't know where you're going, it's, well, but you're living for the moment, then these things that look good for the moment are really hard to walk away from. But when you look and you go, I know where I'm going. Why would I defile where I'm going with what's just for now? Because this is going to be so much better. And I got looking and I'm like, okay, so I'm supposed to look forward. What is, does the Bible say much about heaven? Is this, this, this a, a, a big subject? Jesus talks a lot about heaven. He says, um, in my father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And when he says this, he points out something so, so important, that where I am, there you may be. Heaven is going to be amazing, but the most amazing thing about a place is the people that you're there with. Um, I have been to lame places with amazing people, and it was awesome. You can go to amazing places with lame people. It's lame. Um, I have been lost in, I don't like big cities. This just, I, I just don't. And I was lost downtown Dallas. Happy as could be because I was with somebody that I valued. I've gone on, I've been in, I don't golf. I was on a golf course in high school in the middle of the night. Um, and we had an absolute riot. Um, and running and jumping into sand pits that you can't see and your depth perception's all off and you crash. And it was hilarious. It was fun because I was with fun people. But I've been places that should have been fun with people and they were not. But, but he goes, you're going to be with me. Jesus, when he's on the cross, he turns to the person next to him who says, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. And he turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus expected him to have a future beyond the grave. He said, there is more. Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. And he paints this picture, and through so many of his parables, he's going, there's going to be a tomorrow. Use today to prepare for tomorrow. And this, this idea of using today to set up for eternity, I don't think anybody says it more clearly than Jesus over and over again. The word heaven in the New King James Version comes up 531 times in over 500 different verses. And it's, it's foundational to our faith. Hebrews chapter 6 goes over some of the, the foundational principles of our faith. And it talks about, uh, it ends with the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. It goes both the resurrection of us who are going to be with him and eternal judgment are basics. These are things that we should all know about. Paul looked forward to heaven. 
He, he shaped his life and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He goes, where I'm going, it will be better. He's the one who wrote, set your minds on things above, not on earth. He says, take hold. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, or verse 8, he says, For there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. And he goes through and he says, um, And not only for me, but also for all who have longed for his appearing. And so he, he paints this picture that, that there's so much that he's looking forward to. And as I got, got going this, I'm like, okay, so it comes up a ton. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. It's all throughout. But it's really hard to look forward to something that you have no idea what is. I have kids and occasionally you're like, we're going to do this. And they're like, what's that? And if you don't know what it is, you probably aren't going to look forward to it. And a lot of times we struggle with our idea of heaven because we try to get our idea of heaven by just looking up. We're like, well, up I see clouds. So heaven must be clouds. But Revelation 21 Verses 1 through 4 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle. This is the home, the dwelling place, the place where God lives. Um, God is with men and he will be, dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. When God comes, he doesn't just bring a suitcase. He brings a city. And it's a big one. It's like 1,380 miles wide and across. Um, massive. Brings it down. Drops it down. But it doesn't say there's going to be this city that's going to stay up in outer space. He goes, he's going to make a new earth going to remake it and he's going to bring it down because God is a God who redeems and God restores. See, our earth is broken, but it's still beautiful. Can you put up that next picture? Um, I, I thought this was just kind of a, a cool image as we, we look at a beautiful sunset through a broken mirror. And it's, it's, it's beautiful, but you still wish you could have a clear image and it would this, the reflection does, would, still wouldn't do it justice. You want to stand there and you want to look and take it in. Our earth is broken, but our earth is still beautiful. And he goes, it will be a new earth. Um, so it'll be an earth without sin, without sickness, without decay, without death. And he, and he, and he goes through and he begins to, to paint this this new heaven. So uh, I got a few pictures. Can you put up the next one? As we begin to look at our earth that is, that is broken, it's beautiful. Next one. And there's so many, um, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. Next one. So many places to see, so many spots that are just gorgeous. And you, you see them, you're like, I want to travel. I want to go there. Except you look at it and you're like, that would be so awesome. Granted, the mosquitoes there, um, <laughs> may be awful, except in a new earth. See, when God made things to start with, the mosquitoes wouldn't bite you. 
So then you get to go there and you're like, oh, I get to go there and I don't have to worry about mosquitoes. I get to play in the creek, in the river, and I don't have to worry about leeches. I get to go and play. Next one. And you're like, I get to, to climb the mountains, jump off the cliffs, swim, swim the ocean. Next one. Watch the, look at the sun over the waves. Next one. Hike the mountains and the valleys. Next. Um, as they're just, next. Swim in the gorgeous, clear waters. Next. I really, really like this one. Uh, because we, it's easy to think about things and to just get lost in the beauty of landscape. Because landscape's amazing. But I wouldn't trade any landscape in the world for my family. And to see them together and you go, what is heaven going to be like? And they go, you know what? Heaven's going to have the most beautiful, amazing places that we get to explore, that we get to run in. But heaven's also going to have my family. And it's going to have love like you would not believe. See, a lot of times we think of heaven in its own completely separate, disconnected compartment. When God made the earth, go to Genesis chapter 1. God's making it. God's making all this cool stuff. Genesis 1, verse 26. He says, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let him have dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and over all the livestock, and over, every, um, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God's plan. Make the world beautiful. Make the world perfect. Make man and give mankind dominion over the earth. This is God's plan. And then inside this, he is going to walk with man. And he's going to have fellowship with man in a perfect world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. And they didn't go, hmm, what's that sound? Never heard that before. It says they heard the sound of God walking in the garden, and this is just after they sinned, so they went and they hid themselves. They recognized the sound. They're, most of the time, you will not recognize a sound the first time you hear it. So it is my conclusion that it is not the first time that God has walked with them in the garden. And the fact that it mentions the time of the day that they heard it, indicates tradition. When they hear, the garage, they hear somebody outside, the dog starts to bark, it's time for me to get out of work, they assume it's going to be me. They heard the sound at the time when God comes because God walked with them in the garden. How long was it between creation and the fall? I don't have a clue. But long enough that they recognized this sound because God's plan was to walk with with man, with them having dominion inside this amazing, beautiful garden. In this spot where the, the animals, where, where there was dominion. See, when they had dominion, that means that the animals reported to them. That they listened, that they, they obeyed their command because they ruled over them. So like, as you, as you begin to picture this, like if you, if you look at pictures of Adam and Eve, typically they're naked, so we're not showing any of them. But they're... Um, <laughs> 
you're going to find them full of, surrounded by animals, a bunch of them that are carnivores, and everybody just laying down peacefully, and everyone listening to them. And you look and you go, okay, so, so this was, was God's plan, that they would have dominion over these things. But when, when sin entered the world, the Bible says in Romans 8, Verse 19, it says that creation waits eagerly longing for the, rev- the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And it talks about the bondage that all of creation is under because of sin. When mankind sinned, it put all of creation under the curse. But when God comes back and God redeems things and restores things, everything it says it is longing to be set free from the curse. Everything is going to be set free. So you're going to find, um, next picture. Um, could you imagine that being two feet from you and not being afraid? To look over at a tiger and be going, hey, tiger, what's up? Want me to scratch you behind the ear? And just like this idea of messing with him and playing with him because when you go to Revelation chapter 21, what we read earlier, it says that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And if you go, that God will be with us, that God wants to be with us in this new perfect world that he is recreating in fellowship with him. And then if you look in Revelation um, 22, 3 to 5 and 2 Timothy 2, 12, it says that we're supposed to rule and reign with him. That our job is not going to be to sit on a cloud and play a harp, but it's going to be to rule and reign over the new earth with him. And what positions we're all going to be in, I don't know. And I, and I, I honestly don't believe it'll be the same one. Because when Jesus tells stories and Jesus tells parables of what the kingdom of heaven will be like, he paints how things will be when the master returns based on what we did in the time that he was gone. And he says, hey, you were faithful with little. Let me make you faithful over much. And he goes through and says, what did you do in the time of waiting? What did you do? And, And it paints this This world that can be so full of adventure, that can be full of rock climbing and mountain climbing and lion riding and um, all these different amazing things. And you got to understand that this this is from a God who says, if you want to please me, you need to believe that I exist and that I'm a diligent rewarder of those who seek me. He goes, it's on the top list of things you need to get. I am and I want to reward you. I want good things for you. I have good plans and I have a great future planned for you. But he tells us in Matthew, store up treasures in heaven. If I have to store some up, then heaven is not a communist country. When I say that, it means that God doesn't take everything from everybody and then redistribute it equally. He gives you an opportunity to store up treasure. The Bible says that the things that we do will be refined, that some things that we do will be um, like wood, hay, and straw, while other things that we did to honor God and to show his love will be like gold, silver, and precious stones that will be refined by fire. It goes through and it talks about different crowns that God will give you. As I was doing this, I got thinking, and I just got picturing, and I want to you to practice with your imagination. Uh, so, so go with me, if you will. And just picture yourself in a gorgeous valley, lush green grass and flowers all around, mountains, beautiful big old mountains with some snow-covered peaks off to the side, beautiful trees, river running through the middle, 
and as you begin to just to walk through, you feel the, the, the warmth, you see the light shining over the mountains, the light breeze on you, and you hear from the distance the trumpet sound. You hear it, oh, it's time. And you run, you begin to run down, down, down towards the, the river, and you see something moving off there, you yell out, Leo! Big old lion comes running over with a big, thick mane. You grab onto his mane, say, take me quick! And you run and begin to run through the valley, over the hill. Over the hill, you see the city. You see the great city, the light shining from it. As you begin to get close, you hear the celebration louder than any sports event that's ever occurred on earth. As they begin to cheer and celebrate, the light is so bright. And as you get close, you can feel it. it it's, there's a smell that comes out that just draws you in. There's a life, there's a peace that comes over as you get ready to enter the city. And as, as you enter in, you hop off your line and you're, you're running in and you, you see the great, the great banquet table full of foods like you have never imagined. And you're excited and you feel this peace and this warmth as you, you enter the city. But then you see him. You see him across, across the way. You see the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, walking towards you. And, and your heart begins to jump. Your heart begins to beat. It begins to beat so loud. You feel like it's going to like erupt from your chest. You're like, can everybody hear it? And you begin to drop to your knees in front of the Lord. Jesus is coming and, and, and you're down and you're down and you feel it get beating faster and faster as he begins to walk towards you. You kind of look up and you see his feet and you look down and, and, and all of a sudden those feet are right in front of you. You can still see the hole through and your heart is beating so fast. You're standing, you're kneeling in front of Jesus, your Savior. And he reaches down and he touches your shoulder and your heart just feels like it pauses inside. Jesus just touched me. Jesus just touched me. He says, stand up. Somewhat shaky, you begin to stand. As you begin to look into the eyes of the one who gave everything for you. And he looks at you. And he says, thank you. You're like, thank me. Thank you. Why are you thanking me? He goes, my children. You brought some of my children. I brought some of your children. Yeah. You gave. At church, there's a little boy in Africa who's here because of you. You served in res kids. There's a couple kids that are here because they got comfortable because you loved them in res kids. At work, you talked about what I did in your life and it produced hope. That, kid, that guy who came back to you and asked you to pray for his marriage because it was falling apart because you had something different, he came to know me because he saw something different in you. Do you remember that neighbor that you invited to church who mocked you for it for months afterwards? Yeah, I planted a seed. Six years later, he gave his life to me and he's here because of you. Yeah, thank you because I love my kids. Some of my kids are here because of you. And I've got something for you. He reaches out. He pulls out a crown. It's made out of the works that were refined that you did. He goes, here. Thank you. And you look. Take it off. Like, wow. My God. You laid at his feet. And he goes, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And as I just begin to picture it. I'm like, oh, there's something. And I can't tell you exactly how it's going to play out. I, I doubt your first 
face-to-face encounter with Jesus will come after the lion ride. But those are all things that are there. Things, as you look, you go, oh, the Bible's full. The Bible talks about there being animals. It talks about the lion laying down with the lamb. It talks about the child that will lead them. It talks about these rewards. Today, we have an opportunity to store them up. We have an opportunity to reach his kids. We have an opportunity to honor God with the life that he's given us here so that we can honor with him with it there because heaven's going to be amazing. But you only have one life to prepare for it with and we want to make the most of that life because once you're standing in front of him, the game is over. It's too late. I want to to encourage you if you're walking with God to go, that day is coming. Be ready. What can we do to store up treasure in heaven? And if you're here and you say, I'm not ready, God loves you. God wants you there. God paid the highest price so that you could be forgiven from your sins, so that you could spend eternity in relationship with him in an amazing, amazing heaven, an amazing world without sin, without sickness, without pain, without death. But you have to make him your Lord. You have to receive the gift of forgiveness that he came to give you. And if you've not done that, if you're not right with him, I want to give you an opportunity right now to know that you're right with God and on your way to heaven. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here and you say, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that heaven is my home and that I'm ready for him. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. So that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. I see your hand. Who else is? That's me. Such an important decision. Awesome. All right, we're going to say a simple prayer. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So that's what we're going to do. So whether you raised your hand or you've done that before, join us as we declare him our Lord. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. I choose to follow you from this day forward. I declare that you are the Lord in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Give them a really, really big hand. If you made that decision, we would love to catch up with you. We've got a book we'd love to give you. We'll be down here after service and would love to talk to you.